are now tuning into But What If I Soar podcast. With your host, Dominique, licensed professional counselor and certified clinical trauma professional and owner of Free to Be Counseling Service and Deveron, licensed social worker and certified life coach and owner of Social MacGyver. The thought-provoking podcast that explores the complexity of mental health through a lens that does not require a prescription. We will explore a wide range of topics with engaging discussions and personal anecdotes that provides a realistic outlook while actively engaging in our own self-discoveries. Let's get ready to soar together. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of But What If I Soar podcast. I am your co-host, Deveron, Social MacGyver. And I am Dominique, Free To Be Counseling Services. We are so happy to have you guys return. Um, this is going to be another episode, a part of our relationship series. And this episode is going to be about romantic partners. Um, and so I think that this will be a good episode. Um, myself and Dom are both married. Um, okay. And so we will give be able to kind of talk about that from a marriage standpoint, but also, you know, just dating and things like that. So I think that it will be a good episode. Um, before we jump into the episode, I do want to start off with a high and a low. So Dom, from these last couple of weeks, what is one high and low that you have experienced? Yeah. So um, a high for me has been music. Uh, there's been some some good albums that have come out recently and, and music is definitely therapeutic for me. So I've been listening to Victoria Monet's Jaguar 2 album. Um, and I didn't realize how much music she has done. I know she's done a lot of stuff behind the scenes, but she also has lots of music from the time that she's kind of been in the industry. So it kind of took me down like a little bit of a rabbit hole there because um, I didn't really know how much music she had. Um, but this uh, Jaguar 2 album is so good. So I've been like listening to that. And then Diddy came out with an R&B um, album called Off the Grid, which is so good. Um, it definitely does mix a little bit of, um, you know, you know, I would say kind of traditional R&B with some of the other, you know, kind of, you know, experimental R&B that, you know, you know, that 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 this genre has kind of been able to kind of tap into. So it's it's a really good album. Um, I forgot that it was coming out. And on Friday, my husband sent me um, the album and I listened to it during 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 the day. Um, and have been just listening to it throughout the weekend. So that has been um, definitely a high. Um, I also finished the Brene Brown book that I was reading called Braving the Wilderness. Um, that was a really good book. Um, it, it actually wasn't what I kind of initially anticipated, but I do think that um, I definitely got a lot out of it. It definitely got me to think a little bit more about some of the aspects of the book. Um, and so I am now reading, I've also kind of been on in my parenting bag a little bit in the last couple of weeks too. And I've had a, a lot of parenting books that I've purchased, you know, as we talked about on this podcast, I do purchase a lot of books and don't always get to read them <laughs> the way I want to. Um, but I am now currently reading a book called Parenting from the Inside Out by, Daniel Siegel and there's another author and it's it's been out for a long time but they recently did a 10 year anniversary re-release um mm -hmm. so I've been reading that and essentially the premise of the book is 
that if you can make sense of your own childhood experiences and your upbringing that you can, you know, come to the experience of parenting um, a lot better. Um, and so I like Daniel Siegel because he's, he's a child psychiatrist. Um, he does, has done a lot of work in adolescent work and trauma. Um, and he just, he just explains the brain in such a way that for somebody who might be a lay person could totally understand what he's talking about. And I've mm-hmm. always liked him for that. I think I was introduced to him maybe like seven or eight years ago when I did my first trauma training, when I was, um, uh, taking the training to become a certified trauma professional. And I was like in such awe of like how knowledgeable he is, but also just how easy and simplistic he makes like the brain, you know, he mm-hmm. talks about it in such a way that's just so easy to understand. Um, so that's the book that I read. So those were my two highs. I really don't think I've had any lows. So I'm just going to roll with that. Yeah. No <laughs> lows, no lows. Look, yeah, no lows. A, a win is a win. <laughs> a win is a win. I would take it. <laughs> what about you, Deb? How about you? Uh, so I think for me, a high is um, I am getting ready to start a new position with a new company. So I'm really yeah. excited about that. <laughs> Um, it's a new chapter and I am looking forward to all of just the opportunities that it will bring and just growing professionally and, and challenging me to grow professionally. I think that that's going to be great. Um, I have completed the remaining hours that I needed, even though I did them already, I completed the second round of hours that I needed to sit for my LCSW. So I will be submitting that to the board very soon to go ahead and get approval to sit for the LCSW. So that's exciting. And then we are preparing, as you know, um, Mm -hmm. to celebrate our vow renewal of 10 years and like two weeks. So I'm so excited for the vow renewal, but also just to be around my loved ones and just make mm-hmm. you know memories and I'm just really excited about that. Yeah, same here. Same here. I'm like, um it's it's a, it's a much needed trip. So um yes. I'm excited as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And I would say a low would just be I think you know, I have been missing my mom and my grandmother a lot yeah. more, as well as my uncle and my grandfather, but mostly my mother and my grandmother have been heavy on my mind, especially mm-hmm. with getting ready for the vow renewal, because both my mom yeah. and my grandmother were very creative and they were known as like the party people. So like if you had an event or anything, my grandma was going to cook, you know, all types of mm-hmm. food. She was a sewer. So she would be, you know, getting outfits together. Like she was just, my grandma was everything. Like she, there was yeah. nothing that she could not do. And my mom was just someone who, even sometimes I'd be like, okay, mom, like that's enough. Like, <laughs> why are you still <laughs> buying things? And I said it was right. good. But like, I just missed that aspect of having two people who, go overboard like I do because I'm I'm like that in that in that aspect where yeah. if my loved one is having something, I'm normally going to be the person who is going to be doing things you didn't ask me to do. But I just want to help you because that's the way <clears throat> that I was part of my love language. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where, you know, grief never ends. It it, you know, ebbs and flows. Some days it's harder, some days it's easier. Um and this is yeah. just one of those reminders of, you know, missing people who you know 
would have been a part and be a big part of the um, event and experience and they're not, but you know, yeah. I'm utilizing my coping skills. I'm relying on my therapist. I talk a lot with my husband um, in regards to how I'm feeling. So I'm checking in with myself. I think that's, that's all you can do, right? You got to yeah. kind of just learn to float when you need to and learn to like stand when you need to, but the waves of grief are going to come. So yeah, I'm doing that's very true. You know, it's, 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 it's so complicated. It's such a complicated experience. Grief is, um, you know, because some days you're good. And then when something great happens, the first person you want to call is the person that you, you can't call anymore. Right. And mm-hmm. the first people or person that you want to, ex- you know, share those experiences with, you can't, or, you know, when you're struggling and feeling overwhelmed, again, those are the same people that you want to reach out to. And so, um, I I'm just, I'm glad that you're, you know, you're finding a way to kind of get through it. Um, and also just acknowledging that it's okay. It's okay that this is kind of where you are. Um, loss is hard and never gets easier no matter how much we can prepare for it. So, um, I'm just, I'm just glad that, you know, you're, you're you're able to, um, you know, kind of make peace with it. And, you know, in spite of the loss and and not having those people physically with you, that you're, you're still going to, you know, put one foot in front of the other, you know? And that's all you can do. You know, Mm -hmm. I think I'm very open about my grief journey and having Mm -hmm. back to back losses and Mm -hmm. you you just have to take the good with the bad. And I, I look at grief now as just love being expelled from the body of, you know, having someone who is no longer here in physical form. So Mm -hmm. um, I'll get through it. It'll, it'll be a wonderful event. I know my mom and grandmother and uncle and grandfather will be shining down on us Mm -hmm. that day and, you know, probably will make their presence known some way or another, but I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure. Which will be nice. It'll be nice for you and for Mercy. Like, it'll just be nice, you know, to have yeah. that, you know, extra presence, you know what I mean, with, with all of us. So, yeah, yeah. Probably drink a Bud Light Lime for my mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. We definitely got to do that. We definitely got to do that. <laughs> no, we, we have to do that. <laughs> like, for real. No, we have to. I'm so glad you said that because now we got to get some before we come down. Like, yeah. For real, we got to do that. Yeah. So now that we talked about our highs and lows for the week, I want to go ahead and jump in. We have prepared some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Dom, do you want to go first? You want me yeah. to ask the first question? I'll ask the first question. Yeah. All right. So remember, this is um, us kind of unpacking and exploring some of our our romantic relationships. Um, so the first question is um, reflect on a moment when you felt truly vulnerable with your partner. Um, how did that vulnerability impact your connection? And what did you learn about trust and intimacy? Oh, I have a good one for this. So <laughs> when me and Mercy had dated, I guess you can call it dated for a while. And um, then we, you know, kind of went our separate ways. And then when I was in school in Florida, we kind of reconnected again. And, you know, he would come visit me and stuff. And, you know, we had a good relationship. But um, 
Mercy, prior to us kind of reconnecting, he hadn't ever been fully around my family, right? Mm -hmm. And so my cousin was getting married and um, I had actually moved back to Westchester or moved back to PA and moved to Westchester to go to grad school. My cousin was getting married and Mercy was coming to the wedding with me. And Mm -hmm. we came, we grew up in a small town. So Mercy kind of yeah. knew about my mom and things like that, but he didn't really, like we never talked about it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he knew things about my sisters as well. But again, we just never talked about it. Like he just knew he kind of obviously dealing with me. He kind of knew there was something behind all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we ended up going to my cousin Stephanie's wedding and I feel like it was a shock to the system. (laughs) (laughs) It was so much going on. Like, it was a beautiful wedding. We had a wonderful time. But it was so much going on. And I think that prior to us going back um, to the wedding, he had an idea, like I said, about what was going on with my family. But we hadn't talked about it. And it was to the point where my mom wasn't doing that great and um my sister had a had her son um her young or her oldest and she wasn't doing that great my mom was really struggling she at the time had my niece as well and i just remember knowing something was wrong and feeling like kind of like helpless and i'm the type of person i'm very like if something's going on, I'm a fixer. Like, that's just who mm-hmm. I am. I'm a fixer. We're going to like, I don't play about having an elephant in a room when we acting like we can't move around the room, but we know that there's something there, but we're not going to talk about it. I'm not that type of person. Like, if there's an elephant in a room, I'm going to say, everybody see this damn elephant. Like, <laughs> look, we smushed against the wall. We all see what it is. Like, let's find some way to address it. Right. So I was in a place because me and Mercy had just moved in together. And I knew that my mom was struggling. And if it was just me, it would have been a Devron jump in and fix this and all handle on her own because that's just what I was used to doing. Mm -hmm. But I had to actually have a conversation with Mercy of trying to figure out one, how I kind of like broached the situation because like I said, he knew about it, but we never talked about it. But I also was like struggling internally of like, repeated patterns, right? The same things that I've been through. And now I'm also having embarrassment because I'm with my partner and he has to Mm -hmm. see this. And, you know, also being fearful of like, he's going to see just the hot mess that this is and be like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, Mm, you know, and in my eyes at the time, I felt like Mercy had come from a family that was so together and didn't Mm -hmm. have issues and, you know, just very, everything was like on par. Um, And so it was at that time that I had to be vulnerable, which I was not used to being because vulnerability for me was something that I felt like those who loved you could use against you. And so I had to be vulnerable and tell him like, I'm really struggling. This is what, why I'm so upset. This is why my, you know, tolerance is very low. Why I kind of seem more snappy. And I have to figure out something to do with my mom because that's just the relationship that we have. I, I take care of my mom and I can't be trying to start my life, you know, in, in PA a few hours away. And I know my mom is struggling with these kids. Like, I don't want 
the next generation to be raised how I was raised, right? Yeah. And I had that conversation with him and Mercy was like, I support you. Like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want your mom? And let me just tell you, Dom, at the time, <laughs> me and Mercy was living in a one-bedroom apartment. I okay? think I remember this. Yeah. One-bedroom apartment. And he was like, I support you. Like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want your mom to come, like, come with us? And at the time, I had had to talk with my mom, like, you're leaving. Like, you're getting in the car with me. I will fight you if you do not get in the car. And <laughs> I was hands on you. Yeah. I was like, I'll take you and Carmen. Well, my mom had a boyfriend and she was not thinking about leaving him. And first it was like, oh, he's just coming to visit and all sorts of stuff. And then he ended up staying. So it was me, Mercy, Carmen, my niece, and my mom and her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And in a one bedroom. In a one bedroom. And then came my two nephews later on. But we're not going to talk about that. But <laughs> what I learned was that one, nobody's a mind reader, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own stuff. But you have to be vocal and communicate with your partner about what you need in order for y'all to come up with a plan because it takes two. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. like, you know, although I was used to dealing with these things on my own and I would have came up with a plan and kind of dealt with it on my own. I now had a partner who was one willing to listen to me, give me space and understanding, but also being willing to say like, let's figure this out together and not be judgmental and not, um, kind of take advantage of me being vulnerable. And so mm. that really helped me feel like, you know what, I can trust cr- trust this person, right? Yeah. Um, and it helped me build on like, look, like you were vulnerable and you didn't die. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that, I mean, that it sounds so crazy when you have to say that, but people who don't understand trauma, especially relational trauma, like that is literally what you feel like. You feel like, yes. you know, kind of, Bearing my soul to this person or these people is going to like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be dead if I do that. (laughs) Like, it don't make sense, but it's truly the way it feels for sure. Mm -hmm. It does. It definitely does. So that, that situation taught me a lot. And that was like, you know, creating good foundation for our relationship. What about you? So I will say pretty similar, um, I, before me and my now husband got married, I had started therapy like a few years before we had got married. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted to, um, you know, start therapy was because I had had lots of different childhood experiences. I definitely had, um, childhood experience that was super traumatic for me. Um, and I went through life, like not talking about it, not really, you know, I think I had maybe had one or two conversations with my mom about it. And like, you know, that was really it. And I would, I had told like friends of mine about the experience, but I hadn't really unpacked it with a professional, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why I didn't, I don't think I did for the longest time is because again, when you have, you know, traumatic experiences, especially centered around like abuse, um, for me anyway, the way I internalized that was like, okay, well, you about to just, you know, you're about to achieve all of these things. And I thought that those achievements somehow meant that like, I was okay. Like that situation happened and you know, it was unfortunate, but like it, it look at the, look at how my life turned out now, like that mm-hmm. happened, but like, this is what I've created. So in some ways, 
And I think that's where some of the perfectionism had come from, right? It's like, if I could just do all these things, you know, in such a great way, like, I don't have to talk about this thing that happened to me. I don't have to address it. But it started to, you know, it started to really kind of root its ugly head because that's also what happens with trauma is that it doesn't matter how much you try to cover it up. It still does eventually root its ugly head. And it started to show up in my professional life. Um, and I think if I'm being honest, it definitely has showed up in my my personal life, um, you know, with my relationship and just other relationships that I had, I had had. And so um, I, the thing that kept, the thing that I think was so challenging for me in terms of talking about this traumatic event was, again, like I said, we didn't talk about it much, but when it was brought up to me when I was a kid, it was used as a weapon. Like, oh, that didn't happen to you, you know? So I had so many, as a trauma survivor, you already have, there's already challenges with your memory. Like, did you remember it correctly? Right. Did it happen the way you are telling people what happened? Right. And then to have somebody in moments of of childish arguments to like, say that didn't happen to you. You made that up. Like, so I was, I think I was kind of struggling with that too. Like if I share this thing, am I going to be believed? Right. Is this going to, and, and is it going to like change our relationship, you know? And so my therapist will really kind of help me like, as far as like addressing my communication and really working on being, you know, more open and more vulnerable about my, my life and who, who I was. I think I was in most situations, but in that situation, I was really struggling with like how I was going to be perceived or how I was going to be seen, you know, by my then at that time, my fiance. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I did decide to share, you know, that traumatic event that I had gone through that I really wanted to share. And I think what was going through my mind was like, you about to marry this man and he don't even know this part about you. Like, you know, what does that say about you? What does it say about your relationship? Um, you know, if he isn't good enough to know this part of you or you're, you know, having so many struggles with sharing this part about you and not to say that you should rush having those conversations, but it's telling that you're, you're willing to spend the rest of your life with somebody, but you're not willing to share these things with that person. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had had this conversation with him. Um, and it was, it was like, it was eating at me because it was like, I had been in therapy for months and I was really, I had unpacked a lot of the, the trauma I had gone through like EMDR therapy and I was unpacking a lot of different stuff. And to be fair, I was really uncovering a lot of things that I had buried. So I'm sure that that definitely had a lot to do with like, I can't deal with one more thing. Like I'm already packing <laughs> this shit. Like I can't even add nothing else to this, you know? So I think that was a lot of my avoidance to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. But I did have the conversation with him. And, and really what it taught me was that every situation when you're discussing your truth is not going to be met with invalidation or like some kind of like denial of your experience. Cause I think I was really afraid um, of that. You know what I mean? And um, it also opened up our, a conversation for us to really talk about like, what are our non-negotiables? Because I think at that time I had wanted us to do premarital counseling and, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that he thought was necessary, but you know, he was like, you know, if you really, really want to, we can, um, and in hindsight, that should have been a, a an indication to me of just how low maintenance I was being in my relationships. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like 
low maintenance being like not expecting things from people, not requiring things of people, not, not allowing my needs to be known. Um, not, you know, being forceful and expressive about like what it needs for what I need to be whole and complete in my relationships. Because when you're a people pleaser, you don't even have any concept of any of that because your goal is to, it's for others, right? Your goal is to like, make sure that you are, you know, dim, that your light is dim and that you are, you know, not rocking the boat and you're not, you know, you're not, you know, you're not expecting things from people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I decided like, you know, no, we're good. We don't need to do premarital counseling. And I knew I wanted to, you know, and while he did, you know, drag his feet a little bit, I mean, he definitely was willing to do it if I really wanted to. And again, sometimes when you're given the option to choose, when you're a people pleaser, you don't know how to choose. Right. So I was like, oh no, it's fine. You know, I think we'll be good. I mean, we had had a conversation about our non-negotiables and like what we wanted our marriage to look like. Um, and so what it showed me though, was there so much power and so much beauty in allowing somebody to see you fully. Yes. And I think if I'm being honest at that point, that was just one aspect of being seen fully. Um, but like, you know, being seen fully and, and like bearing all of me to, to somebody has, always been somewhat scary. You know what I mean? It's, it's definitely been somewhat scary if I'm being honest. Um, you know, it's, it's scary. It's scary. It's, 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 you know, you never know how someone is going to, you know, perceive that you never know if, if that's going to run people away. Um, and already haven't had so many challenges with rejection, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And abandonment, you just, you're, you're really careful. Right. And so I think, um, I think in lots of ways, that's why it's been so scary. But for this particular situation, I think it was the first, one of the first moments where I got to like, you know, be vulnerable and share, um, you know, a part of myself that was really hard to talk about. And it was not as bad. Like you said, I ain't die. Right. <laughs> so it, it wasn't as bad as I was telling myself. And what I'm learning about myself is that oftentimes the things that I'm preoccupied with thinking about and overthinking about and, it never ends up being as bad as I envision it. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's really important for me and my journey to remind myself of that, like remind myself that it's never as bad as you think it's going to be, you know? And if it is, you've gotten through the worst parts of your life. You know what I mean? You've gotten through that. So you'll get through this too. You know what I mean? It it is, it's, it's nothing you can't get through, you know? And so that's what I, you know, have to continue to remind myself. So that is definitely one of the first, um, experiences where I have, I kind of, you know, bared, bared that. And, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought. So. I'm, I'm glad that you had that experience. And I think the other part, of that is that being vulnerable with someone else, especially when you have trauma history, mm-hmm. sometimes even being vulnerable with yourself is is a task, right? It's difficult. Sometimes very. you bury things so deep that you haven't even been able to explore fully. And so the idea of bringing someone in and you haven't already kind of did a look around and seen what was in there kind of cleaned up before somebody walked in there. For it real. goes crazy because you were like, I don't know what can run out here, right? Like, For real. I, I, I'm trying to prepare us both because I don't, I can't For, even tell you what to expect, right? Exactly. 
So I think like that's the other aspect of, of being a trauma survivor and trying to be in relationships, whether it be with a, rom- a romantic partner or, you know, even having friendships, just any type yeah. of interaction. There is that part of being fearful of being vulnerable because sometimes we don't even have opportunities to be vulnerable with ourselves. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that you had that opportunity. And like you said, you did not die. So, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to ask you another question. Okay. Can you describe a time where you had to make a difficult choice between pursuing your individual goals and nurturing your romantic relationship? And what factors did you consider and what insights emerged from that experience? So at first I was having like, you know, I didn't really know. And then I was thinking, you know, one of the decisions that I made, so with me and my husband, you know, boyfriend at the time, or just some guy that I met at the time, um, I was in graduate school. Um, I was halfway through graduate school um, at the time when we met. And, you know, you know, in our relationship from the time we met was long distance, right? So we were about five hours apart. Uh, we met on a whim, on a, you know, holiday weekend. We had some mutual friends. Or like one of my friends was dating one of his friends. So that's kind of how we initially met. And it was honestly from that moment that we met, we were like pretty inseparable. It's, I mean, we were separated <laughs> we were five <laughs> hours away, but we really were pretty exclusive, you know, from the time that we, we met. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in graduate school, so I had already you know, made it clear that I was like going to finish school. I was not going to make any choices or any decisions about the next stage of that relationship until, you know, I was done with school, but the closer and closer I got done with to getting done with school, right. The relationship started to get serious. And, you know, I think we both knew that we wanted to pursue what our relationship could look like, you know, living in the same house, right. Or living, you know, in closer proximity. Right. Mm -hmm. So so, you know, we had had those discussions and I'm a, I'm a planner, right? So I want, you know, time to kind of, you know, plan out what, you know, and this is, was a big decision, right? I was moving away, you know, and I had already had plans to move once I was done with school. It just so happened that I met my husband. And so the location of where I was moving was, was changing, but I really didn't have plans to stay in the area. Like once I had, you know, finished school And so we talked a lot about, you know, relocating to other areas and, you know, he kind of had made the suggestion like, well, you know, why don't you just move here? And I was like, oh, I mean, I guess I could, you know, I guess, I mean, I could, you know, I could still work. I could still get my license. I could still be a licensed professional counselor. Like I don't necessarily have to be at the time I was going to school in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I was like, you know, I don't have to, you know, stay in Ohio. Um, you know, that was just kind of my vision because that's where I was in school. And I was like, well, you know, I'll probably move to Cleveland or Columbus, you know, when I get done with school. And so, you know, he had mentioned that. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I, I guess that's something that I could def- definitely pursue. Um, and so, um, you know, again, we really wanted to focus on, you know, you know, making a decision to be in the, like living together, you know what I mean? And um, I wasn't really nervous about that because I think, I was still a little bit younger um, than I am now. I mean, I'm still young. I keep telling you I ain't old. <laughs> so I was still pretty young at the time. And I just felt like if it don't work out, I just move. You know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't really 
I wasn't really concerned that it wouldn't work out, but I was like, I mean, if it doesn't work out, I just move on, go back home or something, you know? And so, um, you know, but what, what, what it, what I was concerned about was like, well, I get, you know, clinical and professional opportunities that are going to really going to grow my skills as a therapist and as a counselor, you know, Mm -hmm. am I going to have those opportunities? Um, and so, you know, what I found out was that, yeah, you know, I had lots of great opportunities. Um, I worked in a, you know, outpatient drug and alcohol setting where I got to grow as a clinician, got trained in different therapy models, got to run my own groups, got to create curriculums. I mean, I just was able in that, that first job that I had, I just got to create so much. Um, and the supervisor that I initially had was a little bit younger than me or no, I'm sorry. She was, she was a little bit older than me, but she was still on the young side. Mm -hmm. And then she ended up leaving. And I had a coworker who had been in the field for probably at that point, like 20 years. Um, and she ended up being my supervisor. And I, 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 I truly credit like my clinical experience, my clinical expertise, my, clinical judgment. I like credit her so much because she, you know, at that time, heroin was really, really, it was like killing people like bad. I mean, it's bad now, but like back then it was, it was really, really, really bad. And Mm -hmm. where I was working, um, in Delaware County PA, the heroin was like, it's most potent and it's cheapest. So it was like, it was, it was just bad. So I was making lots of decisions about these clients and not to like get on a soapbox, but, or like get off topic, but it was just, it was hard to make decisions about what I thought was in the best interest of the client. And so she really, really taught me like how to truly meet clients where they, where they are. If I wanted to make a decision about a client that was kind of unorthodox, she would like say, okay, what do you want to do? Tell me how you're going to do it. You know, and I'll support you. So she really taught me to trust myself clinically trust my expertise trust what i think is in the best interest of the client and be able to explain why you're doing what you're doing and how are you including the client in the process i mean i just credit her so much for giving me those opportunities that that i i mean i'm sure i would have gotten somewhere else but everything happens for a reason and i you know didn't initially plan on living in westchester and working in pa but that's what happened um and so i got to really grow as a clinician in ways that I, you know, I, I just am so happy and proud of that. I have been able to have those experiences. Um, and then I was also able to grow my relationship. I was able to like, you know, make that decision, um, and, and grow in that relationship. So I think it was definitely, you know, my, my struggle was like, I wanted to still have my identity around, like being able to, you know, this was like my passion. So I really wanted to make sure that I was in a situation where I could really grow and it didn't have to be an all or nothing thing. It didn't have to be, you know, I either live here or, you know, we in this relationship, we were able to like make a a decision and I was able to get both. So that was, you know, one of the times where, you know, having to make a tough decision ended up, you know, it ended up not being so bad, you know, (laughs) compromise. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Um, I would say, you know, one of the, the great things and and things that I really love about my husband is he's very supportive. He knows that I am very goal driven. And I mean, to the point where I 
before we got the kids and we bought a house, um, I would literally be searching all over. Like there was times we were thinking about, I was talking to him about going overseas to do social work because I kind of got involved with like a traveling social work agency. So there was opportunities everywhere. And then we talked about other places in the United States to go. And one good thing about my husband, he's like, he works from home for his job. He's like, I could work anywhere. So like, you, you know, whatever you want to do, I support you. He knows that my goals are really important to me. But yeah, in in that, since I'm such a goal driven person, I also am someone who is a pusher for the people that are around me, right? And so while I am pursuing things that you know are important to me, I also want my loved ones to to do things as well. Um, and so that is something that he has accepted. Um, we have compromised is like how hard I'm going to push him because I, I can't be a pusher, like, you know, yeah. hard. Um, but I'm someone who, if he tells me he's interested in something, he tells me that he has dreams of something. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you get there, but also to keep you on track. Like, I'm going to remind you of this is what you talked to me about. This is what you said was important to you. Where are we right now? What are we doing that's going to help us get to that point? Right. And I say Mm -hmm. us because your dreams are my dreams. Your goals are my goals. Right. And the same way that he is so freely supporting of me, I I want to be that way for him as well. Um, And so I would say, like, Although there has been nothing that we kind of had like a disagreement where I had to put my professional goals on hold or anything like that, I will say, you know, going back to what I talked about, bringing my mom to live with us and then, you know, um, my nephews. And then at some point in time, I also had my sisters come um, at different Mm -hmm. times in you know, freshen our relationship of, you know, early on of us getting married. And even though I was literally in graduate school, working a full-time job, doing, you know, practicums for my master's program, um, while also trying to help my mother and my sisters with their mental health and addiction concerns, while also trying to support these kiddos. And also being freshly married. And I had a Mm -hmm. dog who also Mm -hmm. had medical issues. So I will say like, that's probably the highlight of trying to figure out how to balance it all. And that was probably like the most um, conflict was like, Mm -hmm. look, like what is, what's going on? Like, what what, can we do it all? But I will say like, we definitely consider like, what is the height of like, what's the most important and let's make a Mm -hmm. list and address that first. And then what can kind of trickle down and not be addressed. Right. And obviously for me, like I said, I'm very goal driven. I'm very family oriented. So, you know, for me, there was no like hierarchy on that list. It was like, everything is important, but (laughs) my husband has a, like, he really is good with, listening to me, making me feel heard, kind of pointing out what the goals are and then coming up with a plan together on how we can get it done. Like he's really good at that. And that's something that we have definitely applied in our relationship of he knows that I am very like focused on these goals and I can't come up with the list of most important because they all feel very important and very like taxing. Um, But Mm -hmm. just like coming up with a solution of, okay, like what does this plan look like? 
And how can we get it going? Like, that's the most important thing. And how can we see progress in achieving this plan? So Mm -hmm. I would say that's the way that he has supported me in in that aspect in our relationship. It's great to have a supportive partner, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, life is rough. And to live this life and be with somebody and not feel like they got your back is, is tough, you know? So it's, it's nice to have, to have that for sure. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The next question is share a story about a time when you and your partner faced a seemingly insurmountable challenge. How did you navigate it? And what did it reveal about your resilience as a couple? So I would say losing my mom. I think that that Mm -hmm. was like the biggest thing um, because we were not prepared for it. Um, Mm -hmm. At the time that my mom passed, we had spoken with her. She had, you know, all of my nephews and my niece and she was just really having a hard time. And I had been fighting for a long time with my mom to try to get her to move closer because she was She moved to Pennsylvania to Westchester where we were at. And then my grandmother got really sick and she just really wanted to be close to her. So she moved back home and, you know, I supported that. And then my grandmother passed but And I thought, you know, when she passed, she would come back and she didn't. Um, And then she just continued to struggle. And I continued to try to work on motivating her and encouraging her to move back. Um, And there was always like something in the way. And when she had passed, we had finally kind of, me and her had did therapy together. We had to kind of come to like an aha moment where she was actually putting things into place to, to move. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my aunt was helping her like make sure she got her stuff in order so we could get her into um, low income housing near us. And like everything was falling into place. She had brought the boys to us. Um, as well as Carmen, because it was just a plan of getting them, you know, kind of started here. And then she would mm-hmm. come with um, my youngest nephew um, and because he wasn't in school yet. So he would come with her and we would get them their place. And so when she passed, it was like out of nowhere, complete shock and just like devastated. And I remember mm-hmm. like literally the the moment that it happened my husband was downstairs and at the time that's where his man cave and office were and i remember i got the call it was it was not the best call situation of how i learned about it but mm-hmm. i just remember feeling like i was like literally falling like free falling and there was nothing to stop me but i also felt like the most pain ever like it was just like this unimaginable pain and I couldn't stop crying and I couldn't even muscle up the words to tell him. Like there was like, it was like, I was just falling in this deep, dark hole and there, everything around me was gone. Like nobody, my dog was there. He was like trying to get my attention. He knew I was like having a hard time and I just yeah. could not focus. And my husband ended up hearing me like literally falling apart upstairs. And I you know, eventually I was able to muster up the words that my mom died. And mm-hmm. um, he took a moment, like he, you know, he he tried to comfort me as best as he could. Um, but I was just in it. Like I didn't want, I couldn't be around anybody at that time. I was trying to figure out like, I don't know if you've ever been like in so much pain emotionally, but I was like, mm-hmm. 
I have to numb myself because this is just too much. It's going to eat me alive. And I had my niece and my oldest nephew downstairs. I had to, they were sleeping still. So I was like, I have to tell them. I have yeah. to start making phone calls because I refuse for my loved ones to start finding out on social media before I could make them the call because that's horrible. And yeah. so I was like, I have to numb myself. Like, this is just, I can't function in this. I had to call my aunt. Like, she doesn't even know. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just because my aunt mm-hmm. lived um, closer to me than my mom. So I had to tell her. Like, it was just, I knew I had to numb myself. Mm-hmm. And I just remember my husband went outside. He wouldn't cry in front of me. Not that he can't cry in front of me, but he felt like I was in so much pain that he couldn't put more of that on me. And I just remember he went outside for a minute. He cried. I knew he was crying and he came in. And I just remember he kind of like, it was like he went outside, he cried, and he came back inside. He was like, what do you want me to do? And mm-hmm. it was like, we both had that light switch of like, now what? Like, now yeah. where do we go from this? And you know, after doing that, I, I told, you know, I made my phone calls, um, kind of got that in motion. I went and told, you know, my niece and nephew. And then I realized I had to tell my sisters and mm. um, they were not in good places mentally. Uh, like I said before, both of my sisters have struggled with mental health and addiction. And so that was another thing that was on my head, right? Like, you know, and I have their kids and, you know, I didn't know at the time where my two nephews were at. Um, and so it was just like chaos. And I could see my husband seeing like I was spiraling, like trying to be the fixer, Devron. Like I said, mm-hmm. I, I'm a fixer. And also trying to numb myself to deal with all of these things. And Mercy had a very close relationship with my mom. Like they had their own relationship. And yeah. I would just say he did such a wonderful job of, and I don't ever want someone to diminish their own grief and feelings. You know, I feel like that's important. I, and I told him throughout the process, like, you need to take your time and like grieve her the way that you need to grieve her. You know, if you need to cry, cry, you can cry in front of me. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But he did such a great job supporting me and supporting the kids and, you know, just being so open to whatever I needed. And, you know, my biggest thing was I have to protect the kids. I have to do, you know, do all of these things. And Mercy was just like, whatever you need. If you tell me we need to go to war, we'll go to war. If you tell me we mm-hmm. need to go and kidnap some kids, we'll kidnap some kids. Like Mercy <laughs> right. was like, so there was nothing I could have told him at that time that he would have said no to me about. Like, Mm-hmm. He was, and I don't know any man outside of my uncle who is just with the like, what do you need? This is like, I'm standing behind you 100%. Like, he was with the shits, like for real. Sh- like, for real. Like, look, <laughs> <laughs> when I say we, we took a vow to each other, like, I will say, you know, before he had shown me that our vows, you know, he took them serious. But this time it was like, sickness and in health like right now we are at you're at your lowest like you you can't get no more lower than this what do you need me to do what what mm-hmm. do you tell me what you need me to do and i'm gonna make it happen like i could have told mercy we need to rob a bank and like <laughs> go like take these kids and run away. i'm pretty sure he probably would have did it like yeah so it was just one of those things where 
you know, even after the services and stuff, you know, we had to fight a custody battle for my nephews and, you know, um, trying to get my youngest nephew, well, actually the middle nephew, trying to get him and all his services set up here and just going through the red tape and everything. It was a lot. It was a lot to deal with um, while still grieving. And I will just say my husband, like, he just showed me the type of man his parents raised him to be. Mm-hmm. And I know already, like, like I said, the the background that I come from, the history that I come from, the trauma that I come from, it's not an easy task at all. I see my uncle who, you know, God rest his soul, he did it and completely, you know, stepped up. And that was really the idea of the perfect man to me. And then mm-hmm. to have a husband to do that. And also knowing that my uncle said it when I was first, you know, telling him I was engaged, he was like, you know, Mercy, this family is crazy. Like, it's not too Are late. You ready? To leave. Like, he was like, <laughs> he's like, Mercy, I'm telling you, it's not too late to leave. Like, I know you love her, but her family is crazy. But just seeing how he did the same exact thing that my uncle did for us. And and mm-hmm. I credit him a lot of being, you know, of course I had a lot of different people in my life who helped save us and and give us, you know, structure and a good foundation. But my uncle is someone who I've always credited for of being a an angel to me and my siblings. And so seeing my husband step up so freely, being young, us not having kids, you know, we went through our own battles of, you know, trying to have kids, not having kids. We were able to do whatever we wanted to do. You know, we Mm -hmm. had our dog, but no real, you know, ties or anything to literally just stepping up and saying, like, I'm going to take on these kids. I'm going to do whatever I need to. No questions asked. I just feel like that that told me exactly who it was that I married. It, It was like concrete this is this is who you chose to marry and yeah. you pick you picked the right person and my stepmom mm-hmm. and my dad and everyone else constantly reminds me of just the person <laughs> that i married because they're like most people my stepmom says all the time like most people if they were faced with that level of grief that level of hardship you know and not just losing your your partner losing their you know mother um, their parent, but also fighting a custody battle, taking on children that are not their own, dealing with children who have their own trauma, dealing with mm-hmm. children who you have to also deal with their parents and their parents not always being the easiest to deal with um, right. and taking it in stride and just being like, we got this. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's, that showed me like, you know, I did a thing. <laughs> yeah. Not I did a thing, but for real though, <laughs> for real. Cause you, cause honestly, Irby always says this. My husband always says this. You don't know somebody until you have to go through something traumatic. He used to always say that to me. I'm like, we ain't gotta go through nothing for you to know I'm a rider. Like I'm, you know. But in lots of ways, it's easy to love somebody through moments where shit is good you know what i mean where where i don't have to question you know what i mean did i choose the right person like you know what i mean you know so i I think there is something to that you know what i mean you don't really know somebody and and how sub how far someone is willing to go for you until 
they gotta go. They gotta Girl. go. And then you like, okay, well, you was you was frauding, you know what I mean? You ain't you ain't right. trying to go, you know what I mean? You was giving or work, like, damn, no you action. going, like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did you ask me a question? I'm sorry, I must have missed it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with Herb. Like you you do not mm-hmm. know, you know, anybody truly until you have to go through the trenches with them yeah. because people mm-hmm. will give you lip service all day long. Yep. And I mean also like you don't know what you're willing to do. Like you don't know you really until don't. you're be put in these situations, you know? Yeah. And then you put in these situations and that's when like when you can't hide, <laughs> you have to make a decision. That mm-hmm. that is like the Make or break moments that yeah. tells you who someone is. That shows you their character, and it and yeah. it brings so much light to it. And like I said, I that situation is on. Like we we definitely have had, you know, and that's one of the things I said about our anniversary. You know, our ten year anniversary is that we have endured so much within that ten years. You know, multiple yeah. losses. Um, you know, personally and you know, outside family and friends and things like that, job situations and just so much. And it's so important to celebrate that journey. But also, yeah. like, celebrate that our union is still strong, but even stronger. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm so grateful for for that experience and and just being able to sit in it and and come mm-hmm. out the other side because not every you know relationship can do that. You know. Yeah. What for about sure. you? I will say when we made the decision to move from Westchester to Pittsburgh, I think that was definitely a challenge and. Part of it is because, like I've said, I am a planner, right? So I'd I'd say maybe four or five months before we got married, um, you know, we had already been saving for a house before we got engaged. So then we we got engaged a few months after we had started saving for a house. And, you know, so it's like, how are you going to pay for a wedding and save for a house, right? But we were able to do it, right? I was working two jobs at the time. He was working two jobs at the time. And we... We really were able to to pay for our own wedding. You know, you know, we definitely had, you know, bits and pieces of help from our family for sure. But the bulk of the wedding we paid for. Mm-hmm. And um, we also continued to save for a house. We were able to save a lot, you know, for a house as well. So that was a blessing, right? Because this it's not always, you know, sometimes at this point, it's like you got to choose one or the other. Do you want a wedding or do you want a house? Because yeah. you can't <laughs> save for both, right? Um, so what I think we were we were running into was that, the houses, you know, if, if anyone knows anything about Chester County or like suburbs outside of Philadelphia, it's, you know, it can be expensive, right? You Good schools. And so you're really paying for the schools, right? In lots of ways. It taught me a lot about like, you know, that, you know, buying homes and, and, and home ownership is a lot of, a lot of it is what you're paying for is you're paying for like school districts, right? And so, we were like, we're not, but we're not, we don't make enough money to be able to afford, you know, a mortgage here, you know what I mean? And not be house poor, right? So um, the the idea about moving to Pittsburgh came up and I was like, oh, you should have said this like a year ago. We could have definitely, uh, we could have definitely made this shit a year ago. Right. So I was like, cool. I was like, all right, so, you know, we'll get married. We'll, you know, start looking for jobs and save. And then this time next year, we'll, will hopefully be relocated. Mm-hmm. And so we got married in August and we were on, we had, you know, I think between that time and August though, we had, 
you know, just wanted to see what kind of jobs were. So what the job market was like, my husband wanted to see what the job market would be like for his line of work. And he was definitely getting, you know, uh, you know, calls and emails like, oh yeah, come in for an interview and this, this and that. And at the time we had planned on waiting a year. So we were like, oh, we should be good. And so I remember we were coming back from our honeymoon and my friend works at Highmark and she sent me like a referral for a position. Um, and I was like, hmm. he like, I was like, what do you think you think I should, should apply? He was like, I mean, it can't hurt, you know? So I applied just to see what would happen. Um, and then I don't know. We just started thinking about it, talking about it more. And we were like, you know, should we wait, you know, till April of next year? Or should we just like see what happens? So we were like, let's just see what happens. I mean, at this time we didn't have any kids. It was just us. Um, so we started putting out, you know, job and, you know, you know, resumes and stuff like that. And we were getting calls. We, we had a really good friend who lived in Pittsburgh at the time. So, you know, he was helping us find apartments. So I think one weekend, you know, Irby came down and was looking at apartments, was FaceTiming me so I could see like apartments that he had saw or that he had seen. And then maybe about a few weeks, maybe a month later, we went back down for interviews. And by the end of, or the beginning of November, we, or it was either the beginning of November or the end of November, we moved in, um, you know, we found an apartment, moved. And so literally in, I don't know, maybe two and a half months, we decided that we were going to move and everything. I mean, we always talk about how easy, you know, it came together. And I will say that it was totally outside of my comfort zone. I'm not, I I need time in my mind. And what this showed me was I really don't need the time that I keep telling myself that I need, <laughs> right? It's, it's a, it's to me, what I'm, what I'm realizing in some ways, that's my fear talking. That is like me stalling, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, we did that in two and a half months, you know what I mean? Found jobs, found a place to stay in two months, two and a half months. And it was, I didn't need all this time that I was telling myself <laughs> that I needed, you know what I mean? And I credit my husband in lots of ways because he, he, you know, when they, when people say opposites attract, I do think there is something to that because he is the total opposite of that. He is the fly by the seat of his pants. He don't be thinking <laughs> about planning, planning what? Like if I want to do it, I'm just going to do it. Right? Like, that's really just who he is. And I am not like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> to my core, I'm really not like that. I, I am in lots of ways, such a worrier. Um, and I have a lot of, you know, fear, you know, like fear can definitely impact my choices. Um, I definitely see that changing though in myself, but at that time, mm -mm, I, I don't, I don't do well with stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I need some time. Like I can't be, right? I can't be making decisions about relocating my whole life in two and a half months, but we did it. You know what I mean? And it wasn't, it was so smooth. You know, it was, and I, I truly credit him for that you know what I mean like I I think I think without him making me feel like this could work we could do it like it's not you know like we could figure it out you know <laughs> I, I just feel like it 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 was it was a reminder to me that you know I don't I don't need to live my life with all these restraints you know what I mean mm -hmm. that I have been living with for a large part of my life, you know, that I can make a choice and see it through. And I don't have to 
give myself these arbitrary time <laughs> limits, you know, because I kept thinking to myself, like, what is the reason that I'm waiting until April of the next year? Like, what's the what's the reason for that? Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't a, a good enough reason for me to do that. So, I mean, our lease was almost up. I mean, it was like the, it was the perfect time. So, yeah, I mean, we moved and it's been such a good experience ever since. So I would say it showed me that it showed me that there are things that I'm good at and things that I'm not good at. And I am it's okay for me to say, like, you're good at this. You can take the lead on this. And I don't have to, you know, I I don't have to be involved in that. I, I mean, I'm definitely the type of person that doesn't necessarily feel like a man has to lead in every way. I -hmm. don't feel that way. You know, I feel like I'm, I want to be in a partnership where my input is valued and that at the end of it, sometimes we're going to make the decision that I think is best. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And sometimes we're going to make the decision that you think is best. It doesn't mean that because you're a man, you get to make the final, you don't get to, you get to have the final say. Um, and we both are, we, we've both always been in agreement of that, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, we value each other. We value what we both bring to, to this, you know? And so, but in this moment, I just knew that I wasn't the best person <laughs> to be driving the ship. You got to play. You know, I didn't need to be, yeah, I didn't need to be driving the ship, you know? And I was, I was cool with that. <laughs> so I will say for me, that was huge. And I know for some people, you know, relocate, like how big is that? But it it was really big for me because I, again, as I said earlier, when I moved to Westchester, I felt like I needed time to like wrap my mind around that. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of time with this and it turned out okay. You know? So it's just, again, it's another reminder. And much of that is just like a trauma response, right? It's a trauma response to like, you know, you know, having to make a choice where you don't, you don't always know what the end result's going to be. And to be fair, you never know what the end result's going to be. But for people who struggle with, you know, traumatic events, you know, it is a little different for how they interpret things like that. It's a, it's yeah. a little bit different for how they show up. Um, you know, obviously everybody who suffers from trauma does not necessarily respond in the same way. Um, but for me, I definitely know that like much of my fear has a lot to do with those, those traumatic events that I experienced for sure. So, um, it worked out though. It ended up working out. So that for me would be the, the challenge that we, we got to face together. (laughs) Yeah. So next question is discuss the concept of unconditional love with a romantic partner. Um, have you encountered moments where love was tested and how did you both work through them? I would say unconditional love for us. Like I said, our, our 10 years of marriage has had a lot of challenges. Um, at one point we had decided that we wanted to have a family, start a family and, you know, we, tried, you know, it wasn't successful. So we ended up um, going to our primary care doctors who did some tests. Um, they then, you know, informed us that I would need to go the infertility, um, fertility um, route because of just hormone issues. Um, and so we decided to do that. Um, And my husband's, you know, 
Initially, when we started off deciding to do that, our insurance was not that great. Did not know how expensive fertility treatments Mm. were um, and also how invasive they were. Um, Mm. But yeah, not for the lighthearted. Um, So did that. And I will say that definitely we were crushing our marriage. Um, And to be dealing with that as well as, you know, everything else that I said grad school and, you know, my, um, my family, immediate family and all the stuff that was going on with them, um, was a lot hormones. So when you do fertility treatments, uh, part of the process is doing hormones. They give you medications to help you with your hormones to help you possibly get pregnant. And those medications <laughs> will have you feel like you crazy, <laughs> like crazy. Yeah. Snapping about things you don't never snap about, crying. And I am somebody, if I'm going to cry, I don't want to cry in front of people. I would be Mm -hmm. crying about everything. Like, everything was making me emotional. Watching this show would would make me cry. Like, just just crazy everything. And so, start off with the fertility treatments. We did the, you take, like, um, a pill. Like, you take this um, oral medication. And we weren't successful in that. And then we decided to do um, the next step, which is, uh, it's been so while, a long, I forget what the next step was, but it was like basically where you do a procedure and we had to pay for that out of pocket and it was costly, mm-hmm. but it was also the tests that you have to do are very painful. Um, and so we ended up did the the first procedure wasn't successful and then we ended up getting pregnant and then we ended up losing it um i had a um miscarriage but i forget what it's called but it's a miscarriage where your body doesn't know that it's miscarrying and so it doesn't mm-hmm. um get rid of the pregnancy it holds on to the pregnancy and so mm-hmm. i ended up having to help like get medical um assistance to get rid of the pregnancy um because the mm, baby, there was okay. no like the baby wasn't viable um and mm-hmm. so the first time i did that was very very painful um they give you like this oral not oral medication they give you these pills and and the doctor did not warn me for the actual you know what was going to happen because you do it at home and Mm -hmm. it was painful. Basically your body starts to, if anyone has given labor before your body starts to contract and Mm. you are expelling the, I don't even know what you call the, the miscarriage. And it's like you're giving birth at home without any medication. Mm. Um, So it, Mm. it takes a while. It's very, very painful. Um, and I started to feel, um, kind of mad at my husband because I felt like I physically was going through all of these painful procedures and, you know, he had to do his part too, but his things that he had to do, his procedures that he had to do was not as invasive as mine, was not as painful as mine. And my husband at the time was not really into showing his emotions too much to me. And so mm-hmm. I felt very alone um, in, in that. And I just remember, you know, having a big discussion, like a big blowout about it. And um, after that first time we had like a kind of, like I say, like a big blow up. And then 
we kind of like, you know, went to counseling and kind of healed um, from that. And we decided we wanted to do it again. And this time we were going to go back to fertility treatment, but we were due, we were going to increase it. We were going to do um, a step down from IVF. And okay. um, we decided we would pursue this and we, you know, we started it. it again, very invasive, very hard procedures um, that I had to go through. And he was beyond supportive this time, like just so helpful. So there, like, you know, what can he do? He knew that the things were painful. So he would like, you know, if I had to do a procedure, he would make sure like afterwards he would take care of me and like, make sure I had like the things that I like to eat or, you know, if, kind of shut everything down so I could just like rest and things like that. And he was just like really, really good about it. Um, which mm-hmm. was not to say that he wasn't supported the first time, but I think again, I wasn't communicating my needs um, mm-hmm. to him. And I yeah. was also someone who was used to going at things by myself. Um, mm-hmm. And so then I was resenting him for not being a mind reader. And so when we finally had that big blowout, I think I finally communicated what it was that I was looking for. And he was able to actually step up to that task. Um, And so we ended up doing the procedures again and we got pregnant, which was like completely surprised. And then we ended up losing the, the pregnancy. And this time my body did it again, where it refused to, um, you know, lose the pregnancy and I was further along Mm -hmm. at that time. So I had to have a actual medical procedure. And, Mm -hmm. um, I remember being so upset with myself, um, because we had told his family and, you know, we had told my family, we, you know, I had, we had listened to the heartbeats. We Mm -hmm. were so excited about, you know, becoming parents and, um, just he was excited about being a dad and then to find out so when we found out that the pregnancy was not viable um my doctor was like we have to get you in asap to you know help you get rid of this pregnancy because it's it's not viable and it's basically you can get very sick from having a non-viable um pregnancy um in your stomach mm-hmm. or in your uterus or whatever. So it was like no time to really think, right? And the mm-hmm. other thing that they don't tell you about is I had an OBGYN at the time because obviously I was further along. Um and so Mercy had to he was like very open and honest with the doctor. She was like, she ain't doing them pills again. Like she's not going through that again. <laughs> right. Um, you know, he made the doctor actually explain to him what the procedure was going to be like, what my pain level was going to be like. He was like, cause that was barbaric. Like, you know, she's not doing that again. Um, and he just really was just like someone he knew it was, I knew it was hard for him. And again, he knew how hard it was for me. And he just kind of like supported me in whatever I wanted. If I was... I was frustrated with myself. I was mad at myself. Um, but I also was just frustrated at the world. I was frustrated because, you know, I was dealing with my sisters who had, who seemed like they could literally just look at a guy and get pregnant. (laughs) And, you know, I was like, you know, here I am married and like, you know, professional and, 
So I was mad at the world. Like I was just mad at everybody. And he like sat with me in it. Like he sat with me in that grieving process and like, just show me like, if you want to be mad at me, be mad at me. Like you want to cuss, you want to scream, like I'm here for it. Like whatever. Like if you want to try it again, like, you know, I'm here for it. Like he just was so supportive and, and he, I even t- we talked about like, you know, possibly even thinking about adoption and, and he mm-hmm. was like, you know, he kind of struggled with that idea of like, you know, raising someone else's child. But he was also like, if that's what you, if that's what you want, I will get over it. Like I, I will figure out what that means for us and we can do it. So like he has been and and that's just one situation that we've been through in our 10 years, but he has just been so good at just like whatever it is that you need, you know, I'm I'm here for you. And like obviously I do the same for him, but when you have a trauma history and you have a history of feeling like you can't depend on other people and you can't Mm. trust other people and that, you know, love is something that has been painful for you. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I tell him all the time, I was perfectly fine with being by myself. Um, I wasn't looking for a partner. I wasn't looking for a husband. I literally was like, I just want a whole bunch of dogs and I'll be good. Like, (laughs) have my career, I'll be good. And I I'm so glad that I have him and we have our partnership. But he he mm-hmm. literally was made for me, right? Like he mm-hmm. gets Aww. all of my like my kinks and just like my trauma. Like and and the other thing is like I can talk to him about my trauma and he won't turn away. And like I think that that's another aspect of people who've had traumatic situations is you feel like sometimes there's things in you that are unlovable. Um, yeah. That even you don't want to kind of be open about and mm-hmm. he doesn't shy away from it. Like whatever I tell my husband, you know, m- the biggest thing I think about me that could be unlovable he's gonna show me that it's lovable and he's Mm -hmm. he's gonna be like you know that's just a part of your story but you're so much more And even like when i would get into it with my siblings or my mom and you know i I would be a little bit too hard on them because like i said i'm a pusher he'd be like you know they just don't see you fully like he always reminds me of like you're a good person and like you you love hard like i i don't think i know anyone else that loves as hard as you do like he always Mm. points out you know, who Devron is fully. And I feel like it's so important when you are used to not being seen and being misunderstood and, you know, and just feeling like you always have to prove yourself to others Mm -hmm. to be seen fully, the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and feeling like, you know what, there's nothing you can say or do that's going to make me not love you. That to me is unconditional love. And I I feel like my husband has that for me. Like he, Mm. He definitely will sit with me in my shit. He'll tell me about myself. Like he, he's a straight shooter, but Mm -hmm. he will sit with me and then be like, all right, now let's like, what, where do we go from here? Like, what do you want to do? And, and lets me, you know, be the voice of reason. And we talk about it and figure a way to move on. But like, he just, he just fits me well. I'm I'm Mm. very appreciative of him. Thank you for tuning in and allowing us to be vulnerable together as we soar. 
If you enjoyed this episode and are interested in hearing more from us, make sure you hit that follow button so you are alerted when a new episode drops and leave a rating and a review below. Our podcast can be found on all major podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We'd love to hear your comments and how you're choosing to soar these next couple of weeks. Interact with us on Instagram at But What If I Soar as well as on our business pages at Free To Be Counseling Services and at Social MacGyver. Let's continue ascending or gliding even amongst the turbulence.